Hey, friends. So I, I started doing ministry 12 years ago in Idaho, and um, I had done some reading on the denomination before, but it was at that point that I really started reading about uh, the United Methodist Church and all the, the different things at play there. And one of the main people that informed me about what was going on in the ground was uh, Rob Renfro, who was the head of Good News at that time. In particular, Good News Magazine was a regular publication that got sent out. A lot of people that watch me have read that. Uh, as a part of a larger movement um, of the, the Re Reform and Renewal Coalition in the United Methodist Church, uh, conservative voices that were trying to spread good and faithful information for the benefit of grassroots United Methodist people around the world. And I, I, I'm of the mind that they did a good job. So all, all cards on the table. I'm sympathetic with my guest today. And of course, that shouldn't matter. I've had a number of guests on that I'm not as sympathetic to. We don't see things the same way. Um, but I, I reached out to Rob Renfro for a, a conversation today because uh, we're at this kind of just liminal point right now as the Global Methodist Church is just uh, barely not even a year old and a, a lot of cards are moving, pieces are moving. And I was just curious where Rob is at on this, especially with the accusations of neocolonialism and the rise of Africa and all of this stuff. So we're going to talk about a lot of really interesting stuff over the course of the next hour. He was kind enough to set aside time uh, to talk to me from his home. And so at this time, I'd, I'd like to just go ahead and bring on screen Rob Renfro, Reverend Rob Renfro. How are you doing today? Thank you for joining me. I'm doing great. After a very brutal summer here in the Houston area, we are finally having some cool weather. We got some rain. So we're doing great, uh, like you, uh, very concerned about what's going on in the Middle East, watching that and praying for that. Um, God bless those folks and uh, Lord Jesus, come and help. Yes, it's, uh, it is strange for us to be talking about these things whenever such heavier, bigger things are going mm -hmm. on right now. We're, of course, we never release this on the day of, but Rob, you and I are talking on uh, Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day where, um, you know, 100,000 troops have been mobilized to answer the uh, uh, attack of Hamas and Israel. Very heavy, very uh, ominous, very threatening stuff going on. But you and I aren't experts on that stuff. Otherwise, I would want to talk about that. Um, you're an expert in particular on the United Methodist Church. And I, I, whenever I initially contacted you, I wanted to start off kind of facetiously kind of berating you for being a, a neo-colonialist. And I, I guess I'm just not in the right mood for that today. But I did. I, I think the version of that I can do is the charges of neo-colonialism have been leveled at you roundly for at least a decade, I think. Um, the, for people watching who don't really understand that term, Colonialism was a phenomenon of the 18th century, largely where Western, richer, white, uh, European um, powers invaded uh, other continents that were less developed and used their military prowess to take raw resources and minerals from them and, and enslave the populations in some ways um, to, to suit that end. Neo-colonialism is a kind of uh, structural um, uh, progression of that, where we don't do that naked colonialism anymore, but we use people around the world because we're so rich, we use our resources to get from them what we want. And so in the court, in the context of the United Methodist Church, uh, Africans, Asians, Eastern Europeans, these people typically sympathize with conservatives and have voted alongside them. And the left within the United Methodist Church has leveled this charge of neocolonialism at you, accusing you that you don't care about conservative, you don't care about Africans, you don't care about people, non-Americans, non-white people around the world. You just want them for their votes. So I, I, I wanted you to start off by steel manning, if you could, just showing that you're not um, a person who's just so in your own way, you can't see things from another. What do you think it is that people who have leveled this charge at you, what have they seen that has made them feel good about it? Do you think that they're just nasty and they don't care that it's a lie? Or do you think that there are some things that are really quite easy to frame as neocolonialism, but aren't? Well, first of all, thank you for giving that explanation because when I've asked people why we're called colonialists or neocolonialists, none of them have done nearly as good a job as of defining it as you have. Oh, nice. And I think, I think for many of them, it is simply a knee-jerk reaction. 
Uh, we live in a, a culture uh, where people want to dismiss others. They want to undermine them by putting a label on them. Mm-hmm. And if I can just call you this name, then I don't have to engage with your concerns and I can cause others to be very suspect of your motives. And so without any kind of real conversation or looking at the issues in depth, uh, I think sometimes we are called this simply because we do work with the Africans and it has surprised those who are more liberal or progressive because I think uh, the original thought when they begin to uh, vote to bring in uh, conferences from Africa, these are poor people, these are marginalized people, these are persons of color, certainly they will be very sympathetic to our American liberal progressive agenda, which we, meaning they, believed were is very much serves those kinds of mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And yet what they've discovered is that the Africans are uh, very traditional in their beliefs, and as we'll get into, I'm certain, is one of the primary reasons why they've not been able to push their liberal progressive agenda into legislation for the United uh, Methodist Church. So I think there are probably um, some misunderstandings about um, our relationship uh, with persons in Africa and the Philippines and other places uh, around uh, the world. But um, none of these people making this claim uh, have ever been privy to our conversations, to our collaboration. When I'm told things, I, I'm there very often about the events that they describe. And I can tell you um, there's never a real uh, substance or depth of what they're describing. That's not the way uh, that it happened. And I, I have to, um, Jeffrey, remind myself, I need to be very certain that when I highlight what I think are problems mm-hmm. with folks on the other side, mm-hmm. that I've got real information. Right. Uh, we've been told things that we've never published because we couldn't prove it. Um, okay. yeah. And so I, I want to be better to those who critique me than they are to me. But but the point is that um, they, they've not been privy to how we've worked with people in Africa, the Philippines, or uh, in Europe, and that doesn't keep them from thinking they know all about us. And, and if I may, I, I will say, they think that they're charging us, um, you know, being neo-colonialist or manipulating uh, people from Africa. That's primarily the charge. So if I say Africa, I realize they're international delegates, other places that they may be referred to as well. But mm-hmm. Africa is the great majority of the people that uh, they think that we're manipulating. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they've even said that, you know, we have paid them off. Um, and, and when people say that, they they may be critiquing us, but really what's beneath that charge is such a low opinion of our African brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. because it, it's saying they don't have enough intelligence to realize that they're being manipulated, mm-hmm. to realize that they're puppets and pawns, or they're saying that they don't have enough integrity to turn down a bribe, mm-hmm. that somehow with the Africans, their vote is for sale, their commitment to the gospel is up for sale. Mm-hmm. And, and those who believe that we can manipulate Africans or we can buy them off, their view of our African brothers and sisters are so different than mine. I, I've been there four times, just got back maybe three weeks ago from my latest trip. And these are people who they understand completely what's going on in the United Methodist Church. They understand who the players are, what their agendas are, um, and and they are deeply traditional. The idea that somehow we might have to spend money to get them to vote for a scriptural position is just absolutely ludicrous. So uh, I've heard these charges. I'm if, if you've heard anything in particular for me to respond to, I'm more than happy. Yeah, uh, to do let's that. do that. Let's talk about. Um, so the accusations have been that you have provided material goods to delegates at general conference to in- incentivize them voting your way. You've given them coats when it took place at a, a cold location. You've given them 
phones um, that not only allowed them to communicate while they were there, but also uh, y'all were kind enough to send out text messages about the right way to vote on different measures before the floor of general conference. You also hosted a series of banquets or dinners where they were wined and dined um, and, yes. and cajoled into voting for you. Those are the things that I remember them um, uh, in, in particular, I mean, the, the the voice that I used to read a lot more was Jeremy Smith at ha Hacking Christianity. And he made a, 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 a kind of, it wasn't tongue in cheek, but he made a post one time talking about how he picked up delegates from Africa for General Conference from the airport to get them where they wanted to go. And he, he was chagrined that they asked to be dropped off at the Good News Banquet. <laughs> so he drove them to good news, you know, but I mean, the the, the lack of self-awareness there that he's doing something that could easily be seen as trying to buy votes by providing free transport. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's wrong for thee, but not for me. Um, so the, the particular accusations, phones, coats, uh, dinners, uh, food, um, information sessions, sending out text messages, all these things have been seen as uh, courting votes and then directly soliciting votes when the time came. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. So for maybe the past 12 years, um, we have met with uh, African delegates and some from Philippines, Europe, um, before general conference. They've come into uh, the United States. They want to get together. Um, we talk about the Africans. That's that's it's okay to use that term to cover all those coming from Africa, mm -hmm. but you're also talking about people over a huge territory, right? You're talking of people, different countries, uh, different central conferences. You're talking about people who speak different languages. The last time that I was there not long ago, <laughs> we, after about six hours of meetings, the leader said, okay, now let's close in prayer. I need someone to pray in English, someone to pray in Portuguese, someone to pray in French, and someone to pray in Swahili. Wow. This is, trust me, it's not like uh, all the Africans are getting together. They all have spoken and they come over to America. They are getting people together on that continent is huge and difficult. Yeah. And so they have said, when we all get to the United States, if there's a way for us to meet together, we would love to do that and talk about our African concerns. Mm -hmm. And we have worked uh, closely with them. Yeah, we have provided um, during those uh, usually two to three day uh, conferences, a place uh, for those delegates to meet, food, lodging, all of that. They've run the meetings. We've been ancillary when they've asked us to uh, share. We've been very happy uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. But we are guests at their uh, meetings. So all that is to say the coats, when uh, we met in 2019, somebody had a really brilliant idea. Let's bring all of our friends from Africa to St. Louis in February in 2019. <laughs> uh, these uh -huh. people, many of them, most of them don't have a winter coat. Right. So if, if you think somehow we're trying Rob, to curry favor. If you were not a neo-colonialist, you would have had the decency to let them freeze. <laughs> that, I, I guess that could be it. <laughs> if you but, truly uh, love them, you would let them suffer, Rob. This <laughs> is something that you just have to cotton to, buddy. Well, that's why the coats, I think, uh, no serious person would ever make that uh, charge. Okay. Because I remember being there all coated up and freezing to death. It was yeah. absolutely miserable. And I remember thinking, man, if I had come from where many of our Africans friends have come from, this would just be absolutely miserable. What, uh, what, is there something to be said about uh, uh, reconciling ministries network and, and other mainstream United Methodists and them not even thinking to bring coats? You know, Jeffrey, I, I think this was more of a joint effort. I think uh, persons in that general conference, in, in that annual conference, also helped bring coats. Okay. So the idea that we were the only ones to do that, I'm I'm not trying to misrepresent things. I honestly believe that it was more of a joint effort. 
And um, okay, so well, let me be I, facetious and and hop on that because another thing that should have been a joint effort but wasn't was when COVID was ravaging the globe and we had Africans that were not as privileged as people in the West to have easy yeah. access to uh, vaccines. Right. Your outfit did a fundraiser to get vaccines for every general conference yeah. delegate from Africa, and you were re you solicited from the other side hey would you guys like to help us pay for this to help them come yeah. not only did they not answer you but they reprimanded you for being neo-colonial <laughs> neo-colonialist in doing this because obviously you only cared about them and their lives so that they would come and vote the way you wanted so that's another yeah. thing to add to the plate here with this. so we talked about the coats but now vaccines phones dinners i don't remember if i said something else um yeah the the charge was um you care only about those delegates in mm -hmm. those countries mm -hmm. not just you only care about them you know so, because you know you want to use them it was you don't even care about the whole countries so it I, again that just kind of shows you how uh, unserious these people are on the other side how cynical they are you know the real story there was that uh, the Africans, by and large, wanted to hold a general conference in uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, they they said, don't wait on us, we'll find a way. We saw that the Commission on General Conference was using this as a, a rationale for not holding general conference. Uh, and so we were going to take that rationale away. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, then uh, what what more liberal folks and many conservative folks would say, everybody ought to get vaccinated. And I'm not telling you what I think or what you ought to think, but but that narrative to save the world, mm -hmm. everybody ought to get vaccinated when we're saying, well, we'll be willing to vaccinate three or 400 of them. All of a sudden now, you know, we are uh, uh, villains and uh, using people. So that one is so... Um, you know, scurious. I, I, I'd forgotten about that one. So yeah, that's uh, a fun one. That's just really, you, you should feel ashamed. You're only saving, uh, you're well, they let the, the perfect become the enemy of the good, I think, you know, and well, meanwhile, they're doing nothing because they can't do everything. You well, know? Yeah. You're, you're, how many preachers have used the old story? You're too young, maybe, but, uh, the person going along the seashore and hear all these starfish and oh, sure. uh, the picks it up and throws it in. Well, you're not going to change anything. It doesn't matter. Well, it matters to this one. Mm -hmm. But now you can only do 300. So, you know, it right. doesn't uh, matter. The cell phones, that was a good one. Mm -hmm. And um, that was uh, that was a challenging moment. So what happened is that when the uh, Africans, uh, this is before we begin to meet pre-general conference um, to, to kind of go over legislation for let them to get their heads uh, together and then for us to be helpful however we could. Mm -hmm. um, the question is how can we help um, delegates around the world who are traditionalists, how can we help them know who traditional candidates are for judicial council or for um, chairs of various committees. Mm -hmm. And so um, it, you, the Africans, boy, um, different uh, boards really like to control their schedule, mm -hmm. uh, really like to keep them at their uh, breakfast, at, you know, at their meals and their hotel and like to really control them. And the Africans know this. Mm -hmm. um, so they we thought, well, how can we possibly get these Africans who don't know this city, how can we get them to find their way to our meals so that they can hear what traditionalists in the U.S. are saying and, and who we're supporting? And mm -hmm. when I say who we're supporting, even back then, we were working closely enough with African leaders that we said, who do you support? Right. Let's come up with a common group of candidates. We can support who you think are the best to represent you. And here are our suggestions who we'd ask you to vote for. So uh, the idea came about um, and, and we'd heard this kind of constant complaint. We don't know how to communicate with each other. Just imagine that you are you go to a general conference mm -hmm. um, and, and some of them don't even speak the language English. 
and you're trying to communicate with people, even just to arrange a dinner, much less to talk about who are you voting for or what's your delegation uh, from your country doing. Um, so we said, we'll offer cell phones. Uh, the word will get around that there's a cell phone with a limited amount of minutes provided. And that will bring them to our head our headquarters, to the uh, hotel where we were staying. Mm -hmm. And when they did, we did. I mean, we had a list that, thank you so much. God bless you. We're having breakfast that we would love to have you come. Here's our suggestion for uh, who to vote for. That was given after people got their cell phone. There was no, will you vote for our candidates? Good, here's your cell phone. Or there was no quid pro quo. No, absolutely not. And um, one, I, you know, it would just be wrong and you couldn't feel good about yourself. But again, these people are persons of integrity. And if somebody were to put me in that position, um, I'd have a few choice words for them and uh, never want to have anything to do with them again. So, yeah, no quid pro quo uh, whatsoever. There's um, um, I was recently listening to um, an amateur historian on the 20th century and one of the 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 large things i'm not a republican i'm not a registered um any i'm not registered with any but one of the things that's really impacted modern politics in america and this doesn't map on one-to-one -one with the united methodist church this is a metaphor so there's something called the the southern strategy um that is a, a legend told by the democrat party democratic party that um the Republican Party made an overt play for the Southern white racist vote. And that's why there's some there the black people vote for Democrats because they realize that the Republicans are, are racist. But the Republican Party actually came out of uh, the abolition movement and uh, freeing slaves. And so there there had to be this explanation for why it is that that black people went to the Democratic Party rather than the Republican Party. They all started Republican. When did that shift happen? And according to this historian, it was in the 1920s, whenever you had a lot of um, social welfare programs beginning with the Democratic Party. And so the, the black caucus groups knew that there was more money and material benefits in coming alongside the Democrats. And there was a lot of hand wringing um, among African-Americans about shifting loyalties from the party that freed them from slavery to the party that was now willing to give them money. I think all that to say, I think in America, the way that we've done politics is largely winning constituency groups by throwing money at them yeah. and having come to understand that money does buy votes. And so whenever we see, now the metaphor is over and we're coming to the United Methodist Church, we mm -hmm. see caucus groups that are giving material blessings to uh, a whole constituency that is numerically superior, even if they, they are not given representative voices. Mm -hmm. Um, when they see that same courtship going on, they infer that the votes are connected to that. And so for a lot of people, the notion that what you're just saying is, oh, that's so insulting towards them and their integrity. They have integrity. They're not at all influenced by these material gifts that, that have been given. Well, that's like speaking Latin to Americans for whom the almighty dollar has been yeah. the, the most influential thing. And so to believe and the other part of this, and then I'll just let you go for a bit, is um, when you look at the behavior of the African bishops and how it does not match grassroots beliefs of African believers, the only explanation for that is self-interested money and power and corruption. And so it's strange for right-leaning evangelicals in, in America to argue, okay, well, the bishops are influenced by money and power, but not people on the ground level. Even though if you've seen any of my Af African interviews, they've said, hey, the money has stopped flowing to us whenever we've taken a, a conservative stand. And that's yeah. that's been really hard for us. So it's not that I want to be cynical, but it's that I, I think that an evangelical right-leaning response has to be somewhat able to acknowledge that, yes, material gifts probably do make an impact. But the material, what I would say is the material gifts offered by the paternalistic United Methodist structure far outweigh the small token gifts of friendship that right-leaning caucus groups have every now and again. And so the fact that, <laughs> that, that um, Africans have routinely spurned 
the the efforts by the denominational structure to compromise their integrity really says something to me. Uh, but I, I can acknowledge that that there is some material stuff at play. So go ahead, go whatever direction you want with that. Okay. But I, well, let me, I tell you what, Jeff, I think I'm cynical by nature and having been in this fight, mm-hmm. battle, negotiations for the past 20 years or so um, has only heightened that. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to give you uh, something to ameliorate your understanding and the typical understanding. I'm not saying that some of that's not there, maybe with particular bishops, mm-hmm. but in one of the meetings that led up to creating the the task force that worked on the protocol, the very first meeting that we had, mm-hmm. um, there was an African bishop there who said, and I may get these numbers reversed. He said, I think he said 70 percent of the people in my country are illiterate and 90 percent are without a job it may have been one way or the other Mm -hmm. and he said and the united methodist church provides money for again maybe off one or two here five elementary schools two middle schools and a high school Mm -hmm. and this is very important to me so if i want to give some of the bishops there who have either seemed to become more progressive or seem to waffle on what to do. I, I would say if I was a bishop and I realized that I might lose the money that made schools and education and literacy, the possibility of having a decent job and a better life it, for my people, and I had a shepherd's heart as well as a strong commitment to the gospel, I would be in a dilemma. Right. I, I really, I would be looking for a way to split that me- metaphorical baby and, and keep mm. what the United Methodist Church is doing that really makes a world of difference and yet remain true to my Orthodox beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I want to believe that there are some that that's been their dilemma, not the fact that if they were to go to GMC, their salary probably wouldn't be the same or their status might not be the same, et cetera. So um, that I, I know, I know how I appear to people um, because they tell me, <laughs> you know, kind of mean spirit. Oh, they put it in writing brother. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, you, I always like consider the source. You know, and when yeah. people like Maxie Dunham tell me they're proud of me, then, you know, whatever the Jeremy Smiths of the world have to say, it kind of, I, I consider the sources and one pair pales in comparison uh, uh, to the other. Um, but I, I want to say that people can have um, not mixed motives. They, they can have um, mixed obligations that they're trying to figure out how can I be true to everything that I believe is right and good. And it doesn't surprise me that that folks may come down slightly differently. But even the United Methodist bishops in uh, Africa who have said, we're going to stay EMC, none of them have said, and we're going to change our sexual ethics. Well, that uh, would have killed maybe. Uh, well, it would, it would certainly have them removed. Right, yeah. Uh, from say that. being bishop there. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think maybe one or two would ever even think that's something that's theologically acceptable, uh, but that's not where they are. Yeah. Uh, so the idea that they are becoming more and more liberal and progressive, they, they always have this hope, the centrist and the progressives here do, but that's not what's going on. I was just there in Africa Mm-hmm. in Nairobi, probably 40 plus uh, African leaders from a dozen or more countries. And none of them are thinking, how can we stay in the United Methodist Church? Uh, they are right where we were a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. A couple years ago, uh, traditionalists within the UMC were saying, we just need to leave right now. They want to sue us, fine, but we've got more um, than enough um, reasons to leave. We see where this is headed. Let's get out now. Right. And others were saying, no, 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 no. Let's let's believe the protocol may happen. There may be a way out that will save all kinds of fighting and destruction. 
let's be patient mm -hmm. and eventually we'll take more people with us. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, part of that had to do with what annual conference you were in and what your bishop was like and what you're hearing from your people. And the same thing there with Africa. Some of them are saying, let's just leave right now. I mean, Kenya would be a good, they did. They did uh, yeah. just leave. Uh, but others are saying, let's leave right now. And others are saying, no, let's wait till 2024. Right. And either they'll make a way for us to leave or they'll change the book of discipline. And then everyone will see who they are and what it means if you stay. We'll take more people out. But none of them are saying, let's find a way to stay in the United Methodist Church. They they all have the same goal. Let's get out. Let's get everyone out. And for them, there's no question where they go. Let's go to the GMC. Yeah. Uh, so that um the the narrative that there's a lot that africa's up for play that that's that's not the case mm -hmm. and uh those people who thought it was the case in 2019 uh, they even wrote about it mm -hmm. um they they found themselves uh, very very wrong mm -hmm. and uh things turned out exactly the way that we told them you progressives and centrists are going to lose. You're putting us through the most difficult and uh, painful, destructive general conference the United Methodist Church has ever had. There's mm -hmm. no reason to do that. Let's find a, a way to uh, separate. But yeah. uh, they didn't want to do that. And so that's there's no way exactly. to do that whenever I'm on the right yeah. side of history and you are making gay kids kill themselves. You know, that's just when that's the narrative, there is no playing nice. Yes. Yeah. Hey, so Jeffrey, let me go back one, and then then I, I want to talk with you about the real um, colonialists, if I may. Please. One one thing that, and I think it would be wrong not to mention this because this has gotten um, some airtime and is one of the narratives out there, is that we have paid um, African delegates to vote with us, and I already told you we don't need to because they're right. yeah. more traditional than you know than anybody. Um, and, and less ashamed to say that they believe in the word of God than right. anybody. And to them, it's clear what the scriptures teach regarding sexuality. Mm -hmm. But there's a one pastor in particular, he's a leading centrist, at least he likes to think of himself that way, who says that he knows that we paid um, African uh, delegates. And really? the reason, yeah, oh yeah, and the reason and I could have corrected it the second it happened, uh, and I should have, but I just kind of thought, I know where this guy is coming from. I, I'm i just going to let him be him and think the way he wants to think. Mm -hmm. What happens is uh, good news in our coalition, the other reform and renewal groups, um, we do pay for alternate delegates to come to the United States from Africa and other places. And that's because we know that, first of all, General Conference pays, I don't know, one or two, maybe. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are going to be more than one or two uh, African delegates in every conference who have visa issues, who get sick, who have travel problems, and that those delegations are going to be uh, underrepresented. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we can help make certain that Africa is represented properly uh, is to pay for um, alternate delegates to come. Mm -hmm. And we do. We, we paid for their travel. We paid uh, for their uh, hotels. We pay them a per diem for food. So one of these guys, and I was walking with this centrist pastor. we I wouldn't say we've ever been friends, but we knew each other. We respected each other. We had a connection through a mutual mentor. Um, one of the alternates came up and said, where do I get my money? And I said, <laughs> uh, I said, that goes to remember uh, her name is this. She, here's where she is. Yeah, that looks so, pretty bad, Rob. <laughs> oh, I admit it looks bad. And, and it was just my nature instead of turning and saying hey brother here's what's going on here uh -huh. maybe it wouldn't have made any difference yeah i just said you know this guy at this point thinks so little of us i'll just add fuel to the Let fire yeah okay yeah. so that that's on me but that's that's the money that uh -huh. we give to africa that's our paying for votes making certain that um 
uh, alternates come, never having told them how to vote, never making the payment dependent on their promise to lean one way or the other. Right. Uh, but that that's what's behind that. Um, narrative. Well, let me go on a, a slight tirade because what what these problems expose, I mean, so I interviewed Jerry Kula almost a year ago, who's the head of the Africa Initiative. He's uh, 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 Reverend Dr. Um, very one. I, I love Jerry, uh, yeah. Dr. Kula. He, he talked about how the Africa Initiative was formed to answer obviously obvious needs that uh, the general conference was doing nothing about. Delegates were showing up not knowing what was going on, not knowing what the legislation was. They were leaving early because they had no idea what was being said or done. Africa Initiative dealt with that. You're describing a very similar scenario where Good News saw some obvious needs. Okay, fine, we were sending alternate delegate invitations. Were we making sure we got there? No, the Commission on General Conference wasn't doing that, wasn't making sure that they had proper dress and gear, wasn't making sure that they had uh, uh, access to movement around freely when they were there. There were obvious needs just dealing with basic human decency that the, the paternal, I've already said it, and I'm going to keep saying it, the United Methodist Church is extremely paternal in its disposition towards non-Americans. Simultaneously, they make it as hard as possible to get there. The visa process for getting into the U.S. when you're on the continent of Africa is much harder. And that's why the Global Methodist Church, one of the reasons why the Global Methodist Church just decided to go to Costa Rica instead. It's a much easier process to get in there whenever you're not an American. So, it just exposes all these ways in which the institution is biased towards an Anglo uh, Western uh, populace and completely indifferent towards uh, African Filipino uh, identity. And when you expose that by gently supplementing it, the hatred is directed at you um, rather than uh, causing, and that's the general frustration uh, that's been going on for conservatives all along is saying, hey, progressives, this is never going the way that you want. Can you stop and reflect on whether or not you are behaving rightly? And that has been an unreasonable thing to ask of them. Rather, they continue to entrench and dig their heels in more and say more and more, you're the bad guy. You're the neo-colonialist. You're buying votes. You're manipulating them, not seeing at all the way in which they are actually guilty of those things by being complicit with the behavior of the United Methodist Church. Thank you for letting me go on that tirade. So well, back I, up where you want. I'll I'll, I'll go on a tirade uh, of my own then. Do because it. Love tirade. I, you, you know, have you have you ever watched Suits on Netflix or no. when it was no? No, I haven't. Okay, well, I think it's pretty good. Good. And uh, it's a bit of a big law firm. Yeah, tell me about and, it. And there is always intrigue going on there. And the thing you learn. Um, is that when everybody, whenever anyone tells you something, it's probably and, and attacks you for something. It's probably because they're doing the very same thing. Yeah, Lindsay calls could, it the iron law of woke projection. They are projecting their sin onto you. So that's yeah. what I usually call it. But Suits has a similar concept here. Keep going. Oh, it's just it's always there's always intrigue. There's always uh, something underneath the service. They're always trying to misdirect you and others. Mm-hmm. And you can, if you listen, by how they're trying to misdirect you, you can figure out what's really going on behind sure. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this charge of colonialism, you know, it's like, hmm, why that? Char- Maybe they're like this. So I, here, here's my rant. Here's some examples. Do it. And uh, in a, one of your podcasts I listened to recently, I, you, you mentioned this. This was uh, when one of our bishops, a, a female bishop of, of color, when one of the votes didn't go the way she wanted to regarding sexuality, she wrote a piece in which she said, I keep hearing that the Africans say they vote for this traditional position because it's what the missionaries taught them when they came to Africa. She said that was over 130 years ago. I keep wondering when will the Africans grow up and start thinking for themselves? That was Minerva Carcano. Okay, I'll let you quote. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly right. Now, uh, Bishop Carcano is someone who 
views herself as a champion of the poor and persons of color. Imagine mm -hmm. what she might have said about these Africans if she wasn't so committed to people like them. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if I were to say that about a, a, a group of people, oh, you primarily black no. people, yeah. uh, just when are they ever going to grow up and think for themselves? And it's kind of like, Bishop, you do realize that people have your same degree in your country, even your ethnicity, think the same way the Africans do. Mm -hmm. But you didn't think to slam them. You didn't you didn't slam people like me. You you attack these uh, African persons who many of them are poor and, and of course, uh, persons of color. After 2019, that general conference, Mark Holland with mainstream uh, UMC, uh, he, he created an article called Five Reasons to Consider a U.S. Church. This was April 3, 2019. I believe yeah. it's still on the website. Yeah. He says, well, there's no question, I'm quoting, that uh, the U.S. Church must continue to be in mission and ministry around the world. It is impossible to share a governance structure with a global church, which is both fundamentally disconnected from and disapproving of the culture of the United States. Now, man, this is they so have to rich. approve of us in order for us to be in relationship with them. Not, not, not just our understanding of the gospel, but our United States culture. Yes. We yeah. can't do church together as equals mm -hmm. who uh, share the governance structure because you don't like the way we do things. You know what? I think most <laughs> progressive and centrist don't like the way we do things in the United States. Right, yeah. I don't like much of the culture of the United States, our hedonism, our individualism, our materialism. Um, does that mean that I shouldn't be able to um, be able to share in the governance or have a vote that uh, it talks about how the United Methodist Church is going to be structured? And, and he went on to bemoan the fact in that same article that uh, the Africans, other international delegates have so many votes. And of course, this was before the, the separation. And he says, we're never going to be able to change that. And he thinks because the U.S. funds so much of uh, the church's work, we shouldn't have to be controlled uh, by what the Africans believe and what they vote for. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, this is behind these, this, the call now for regionalization plan where we are able to adopt the book of discipline to our particular cultural context. You know, just we won't even get into the fact that maybe the biblical sexual ethic is not a cultural issue. Because if it was, in the Roman world, they would have never said marriage is one man and one woman and that adultery right. is wrong and, right. and homosexuality, the practice of it is wrong. They would have just said, hey, go on and do what you want to do, but we want you to believe in Jesus and just yeah. whatever works for you guys sexually, uh, that's that's no problem. Well, let's do a little uh, theologizing real quick because the place this always goes is, hey, we have invented something entirely new here. This notion that two men can exclusively love one another and mirror the love of a man and woman can can be can have a marriage together that wasn't in the ancient world. All they had was pederasty and power power over one another. We've done something new here by creating gay love, and the Bible doesn't speak to that. And who are we to condemn? Um, I know N.T. Wright's response to that. Um, but I wonder, you know, and I know it's not even a rational plot. Like, it doesn't matter what you say. They've already decided what they think, but it, it's all over the place. They really believe that the ancient biblical instructions just cannot apply in a modern context because we've invented a new context. What's yeah, well, to be said about such a thing? Well, Jeffrey, the truth is they speak out of both sides of their mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul only knew about temple prostitution, pederasty, and um, so he doesn't talk about, it. but at the same time, they say, no, homosexuality, loving relationships have been with us forever. Mm. You know, this is just part of the natural human reality. So which one is it? Mm. And if it was part of, um, the human experience during Paul's time, Paul traveled all throughout the Roman empire. Paul wasn't tucked away in a, a cave, uh, outside of Jerusalem and didn't hear about, he knew all about this. And so you 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 just have to say, you don't like what the Bible says about this. There you go. And say, we're not gonna live by it. 
we know better. We're going to use, quote, experience, whatever that means. I know that when people talk about the quadrilateral and they talk about experience, they don't have any inkling of what Wesley meant by Christian experience, and they mm-hmm. read their own uh, thoughts into that. Mm-hmm. We're going to let reason uh, tell us, and science has proven that people are born gay, though if you read any um unbiased article you'll find you could go onto the APA's website and what what are the causes of homosexuality they'll say we don't know mm-hmm. so some people say nature some people say nurture at present no cause has been determined and if you continue to read you find that's still the case but science says it uh, I always love when people say well science has proven that uh, people are born gay I said really what peer replicated study has proven that mm-hmm. <laughs> get the same answer every time well, just Google it. Just Google it. <laughs> no, no, you're making the statement. <laughs> you Rob, got to have better evidence. You don't believe that, the science. You don't yeah. believe it. Well, and that's that's another way in which the world has mirrored or the church has mirrored the world is, you know, during COVID, there was trust the science, and yet there weren't the peer-reviewed studies to justify a number of things that, that were. But the science was something underneath that some people were just tapped into is some kind of Gnostic um, body of, of, yeah. of wellspring of knowledge. And then similarly in the church, um, I, I did an interview with a guy named Robert Barnes who filed charges against Bishop Olivito, uh, not for uh, being gay, but for preaching heresy uh, about Christ. And what he said was he did eventually get an answer from other bishops saying that there was other more modern doctrine that she was appealing to that was acceptable, even though they couldn't allude to it. So there's this whole Gnostic body of uh, the people who are in the know, the cultural elites who, who are, who are all a part of this agenda, they know, and they use words like science or doctrine, but what they actually mean is their particular Gnostic in group uh, understanding of being on the right side of history and what that points to. So it's something where words break down and really there's nothing to be said there's uh, what what you represent in the United Methodist Church is what happens when people with just common sense who believe that words mean things and principles still apply unite to to organize to to try and take back an organization that's been compromised by an ideological drift or takeover yeah. and the the vehemence that you've been met with is really quite astounding um let, Jeffrey let me yeah. continue if I may, because I got us off talking about uh, sexual ethics being a yes, yes, cultural yes, yes. issue. Yeah. Um, but this, the you know, the calls for the U.S. to have the ability to adapt the Book of Discipline to our context. Um, you know, the Africans, uh, we, when we were in Nairobi, we were talking about this. And, and man, the Africans are very savvy. They understand what's going on. Uh, they know who's pushing what and why. And one of them referred to this regionalization plan as the apartheid plan. Mm. You know, let's let's push us as far apart as possible. But Mm. whatever name you give it, it, it's obvious that Mark Holland and others, they do not want to be equal partners with the Africans and other international delegates who don't appreciate our culture. Uh, You know, they say we can maybe do ministry and and mission together, but we can't share leadership together if it keeps us from doing what we want to do. You're you're good enough to receive our money, but you're not good enough to lead the church in the areas that really matter. Now, that sounds a bit colonialist to me. Uh, And and I will say that the Global Methodist Church expects churches in the United States to be in the minority as soon as the Africans can leave the United Methodist Church. We're not only okay with that, we're glad about that. And as you mentioned, that's why one of the reasons why the first general conference for the GMC will be held in Costa Rica to make certain that those delegates can get here. Right. Um, Talk about the delegates in the United Methodist Church for for the general conference next year. Last I heard anything, they still hadn't been sent out any invitations to come with the Commission on General Conference well aware that that makes them unable to attend next year's meeting. The um, Whether it would have happened or not, uh, we became aware of that. I reached out uh, to a bishop. I think this bishop would not mind my sharing their name, but I, I don't have their permission. So... Um, and I said, here's the problem. 
uh, this bishop is not where I am, um, but um, that bishop followed up. And just this past week, we've begun to hear that some of these delegates are now getting their letters. Up until recently, they hadn't gotten their letters. They couldn't schedule appointments um, with officials to have a sit-down meeting, which is required to get a visa. Mm -hmm. And they became very, very concerned. And it brought back the very same issue with a meeting in 2022, where the Commission on General Conference said, hey, turns out we can't meet. The Africans won't be able to get here. They won't be properly represented. And the Africans told us, yeah, because you didn't send out the letters. If you had sent them out to us in a timely way, we could meet. So that was a concern. I I, I don't know if it was purposeful or just um, you know, ineptness or what, but it looks like that's being addressed, and I hope so. Yeah, do you um, think it's too late for the majority, or do you think they're going to be able to make it? What do you think? I, If everybody gets their letters now, I think, <laughs> Uh, the majority of them will be able to come. And again, that's why it's important to have alternates yeah. uh, and let them go through the process because there's just so many different reasons that it's difficult to get from Africa to, to get here that we need to have a bigger pool to draw from rather than just that very strict number Mm -hmm. um, I hear you. that they're likely to be uh, unable to come. I hear I'll you. give you something else in, in terms of colonialism um, that is certainly come to the fore right now, and that is the Council of Bishops ruled that paragraph 2553 that's allowed churches in the U.S. to get out, ruled that it applied only to churches in the U.S., even though well, they don't have the authority to do that. Was it the Council of Bishops or was it only the president of the Council of Bishops, Tom Bickerton? Because that's the only thing I've seen. Well, what we don't know. What we okay. think is that he would not have done that on his own, that at least he had the support of the executive committee. Would we council. both be of the same mind that whether it's him or the whole Council of Bishops, neither has the authority to make such a call? Yeah. 100%. Okay. Uh, but the Africans have been willing. One thing that you truly appreciate about the Africans is that they have a real respect for authority. They want to do things right. Yeah. the right way. Um, and so they, they're they not going to just say, hey, you've done this wrong. We're out of here. They, they want to make certain that they've done everything um, in a way that's honorable and respectful. Right. And I have great admiration uh, for that. Mm -hmm. But here, I'm not certain what neocolonialism is, though you did a good job of explaining it for me. But you have a different set of rules for U.S. churches, mm -hmm. and you have a different set of rules for the churches in Africa and the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Special privileges for churches here, predominantly white, mm -hmm. And churches that are predominantly poor and black and in uh, countries that have been colonialized, mm -hmm. they don't have those same privileges. Mm -hmm. So how and here's something else, Jeffrey. Nobody, to my knowledge, on the other side is trying to create a way out for these churches in, in 2024. I, I was asked by one bishop, Rob, why are you still in the United Methodist Church? And people may or may not know. I've, I'm a retired pastor. I've not moved into the GMC yet because I feel a need to stay and help uh, churches in Africa, the Philippines, other places that were not given uh, this opportunity to leave to make certain that they are given it in the same way that we were. Mm -hmm. And also, I want to stay and help uh, churches in the U.S. who were told, you don't have to make a decision now, wait until 2024. Nobody knows where the United Methodist Church is going to come down or if things are going to change. Stay put. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, this bishop asked me, why are you still in the United Methodist Church? And I said, well, because I, I think what's happened is wrong. We've had one set of rules uh, for churches outside the United States. It appears, I use the word, it appears to be colonialist, certainly prejudiced to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think I can stay involved in UMC activities if I'm part of another denomination. I wouldn't like it if I was part of the GMC and UMC people were all up in our business. Mm -hmm. And um, 
this bishop said, well, there's been some talk about maybe creating. I said, do you know of anybody who's creating legislation for these churches to leave? Mm -hmm. No. And I said, and you know what, Bishop, even if you did, I'm certain it's not legislation that I would think is just and fair. Right. So I'm going to be sticking around until these people have an opportunity uh, to receive justice and to be treated fairly. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that is just absolutely, um, it, it's incomprehensible that people who think of themselves as liberal and progressive would think that there's one set of rules for churches in the U.S., one set of rules for churches outside the U.S., and somehow that's just. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, go ahead. So, well, a couple more real quick. Yeah. But now what's happened is that uh, General Conference has told international delegates that they won't pay for their travel to General Conference if they come too early. And so what that means is it's what happens is we do something and then the empire always strikes back. You know, <laughs> they figure out what we're doing and to them it's a chess game. So, hey, all the Africans can get together before uh, General Conference and get on the same page. Groups like Good News or WCA, um, UM uh, Action can all get together and kind of plan together. Well, we need to stop that. And so uh, if you get here uh, in enough time for that kind of meeting to be held, they won't pay for your travel. Mm. And I think this is true. Um, so I, I, I think this is true. I hadn't heard that yet. Well, that I know is true. Okay, that's true. Okay, for sure. Okay. What I'm about to tell you is, and you've got to leave at a certain time too. And that means that Africans who have traditionally been able to either connect with churches here in the U.S. that support them mm -hmm. or to meet with churches where they could ask for support are not going to be able uh, to do that. And again, when we were in Nairobi, it's like, they control our travel, mm -hmm. they control where we eat, mm -hmm. they control when we can come and when we can go. These folks are not unsophisticated. They understand what's going on and they understand who's been their friend, uh, who has empowered them, mm -hmm. who has said, what legislation do you want passed? What Africans do you want elected? Let's work together so your voices can be heard. Uh, and, and they understand what's going on with this. You know, you can't get here too early. Um, it's I, I I can't say I'm surprised. There have been so many chapters in this book that that all point in that direction. It's still just really disappointing, though. It is. And um, I, I will just give you one more example. I could give you a few. But. Um, <laughs> After 2019, uh, this was the, the terrible general conference in St. Louis, uh, many of the Russian delegates, they got up often and they spoke eloquently about mm -hmm. the traditional plan. Right. And very shortly after that, one large church led by a well-known centrist pastor pulled its financial support for the Russian seminary that some of those Russian delegates were associated with. Yep. Yeah. So that's the big tent where mm -hmm. every view is respected and every voice is wanted and where groups like Good News are colonialist. Mm -hmm. You speak up against what we want. We're yanking the money that allows you uh, to do ministry. Yeah. Um, and so there's there are all kinds of examples where I think those who are throwing uh, stones should look very closely at their own house and they may discover that it's made out of glass. I think that's a good uh, closing reflection and not just for uh, people who lean left, but I think if I had to sum up what you were saying earlier about choosing to take a nobler path than people on the other side, you know, I'm not a big fan of Michelle Obama, but she had a, a good quote, when they go low, we go high. And I, I think that we have to hold ourselves to the standard that we wish that that um, our adversaries would as well. And so that means that anytime we're leveling a, a critique or an argument against others, we need to make sure that we apply that to ourselves as well, lest we are guilty of having a log in our own eye while correcting the speck in the other. 
for my part, I've been watching you pretty closely for a long time, Rob. And uh, I've just really, you know, if there have been any hypocrisies in you that are just glaringly obvious, then I, I guess I'm just too biased to see it. Because I've, I've really, you know, I mean, we're not the same person, but even as I, I look at you, I'm just, I've been really glad for your your witness and your presence in the denomination. I, I think it speaks well of you that you're sticking with them rather than getting out as quick as you can. I believe you when you say that a big cause of that is out of solidarity and concern for others. Mm -hmm. And I see I, you're not the only one. I mean, there's a ton of conservatives. Some of them are entrapped and they want out, but a lot have just said, you know what? I can, I can deal with this toxic environment a bit longer if, yeah. if it has a potential for bearing fruit. And so I, I appreciate you, Rob. That's what I'm trying to convey at, at the end here. I, we do need to wrap up, but I, I would welcome the final note from you being how it is that anyone who's who's spent time with us today, how can they pray? Well, you know, I would say for you, but it, it would seem that both you and I are really more concerned about people who are being taken advantage of in, in the system right now. What prayers do you think are most needed right now? And is there one thing that if grassroots people did, that would be really helpful. Um, speak to that. Yeah, Jeffrey, thank you. Cause that leads in, there was one other thing I was hoping mm -hmm. to say. <clears throat> we have we have people on these, um, on, on kind of the opposite ends. I, I don't always wanna say extreme, but people use that. You can be on very different sides of things and not be extreme in your tactics or how you tear down others or whatever. And there are a lot of people that are kind of in the middle and they're gonna go one way or the other. And here's what I believe. I, I have told people United Methodist are basically really good people. I don't care if you're in a, a conservative Methodist church, you're in a more liberal method, you're gonna, these are the people that are, in, in addition to doing ministry in their church, they're the ones that help run the civic organizations of towns and communities uh, that provide food, that provide clothing, uh, that uh, provide shelter for people. The, the All United Methodists, where, wherever we fall on that spectrum, we're, we're warm-hearted, even, even mean-spirited conservatives. You know, we believe that the whole gospel starts with God's grace. We believe at the heart of the universe, there's a heart of love and compassion, and that has to be a part of our lives, or we have felt Christ from the very uh, beginning. Mm -hmm. And I certainly believe that about people who are to my theological left. Mm -hmm. So here's here's my hope, and I could say we want a prayer. Uh, I hope and pray that as people think, delegates and others think about general conference coming up, that they will be open to justice and to fairness for everyone. That, that's really what we ask, that, that the same uh, opportunities that were given to churches here will be given to churches all around the world, um, and that churches who believed, I, I, I told them, don't, don't put this off thinking you're gonna get a better deal after the traditionalist in your annual conference have left. That's gonna be the group that votes to let you out. Without the conservatives, you're not as likely to get out mm -hmm. if things change in 2024. Mm -hmm. um, don't believe your bishop who says he or she will guarantee you can get out because they're not the ones who vote. Yeah, they can't guarantee that. Yeah, No, they can't do it. But, but many did believe. Right. Uh, they trusted their district superintendent. They trusted the bishop. They trusted their pastor. And, and, I, I I think that was wrong-headed, but here are people that are so good-hearted that they are they want to believe something that should be difficult to believe. Mm. I, I'm trying not to call them naive, but they're so good-hearted they just can't believe that people in the church would really do them wrong after promising sure. them something. And now we're seeing what's happened yeah. uh, in Alabama, uh, for example. But I hope and I believe that most United Methodists are persons of goodwill, fairness, and, and desire to be an instrument of justice in the world. Mm -hmm. So my hope and prayer is that as the delegates go to general conference, that they will be able to get over the acrimony, that they will be able to get over this narrative that, look, uh, disaffiliation is so 2023, period. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> let's just move forward. Well, okay, but let's move forward in a way that gives everyone uh, what they should have been given. And that yeah. is a way out um, based on honesty and, and fairness. So I would say, what can people do? If you're still in the United Methodist Church, contact your delegates, say, let's end this up the right way. And that is by being fair to everyone. And once uh, that conference is over and churches have left that want to, then full throttle head, we can be the church that we believe God is calling us uh, to be. That's a good word. I, I wish we could talk a lot longer. There's man, there's so much history. I would love to recapitulate and, and go, what was going on there? But we're out of time for today. So maybe another time, um, friends, if, if you've stuck with us this whole time, I, I'm not surprised. Rob is, is a real interesting guy and we're talking about very meaningful things here. Uh, check him out. He and good news have an amazing ministry. Uh, I can speak to YouTube. They, uh, good news has three times the subscriber base that I do. Uh, your your first you did a video series. Good news did a video series on why the division is needed uh, in the United Methodist Church, and the very first video has two hundred fifty eight thousand views. So the, many of you who've watched this, maybe all of you, know who he is, know it. But if you haven't checked out the work that they did, it's a very fine series. It's really helpful even today, even though it came out like two years ago, one year ago, still very pertinent today. Check that out. Rob has done his best to equip the church for the ministry that's needed right now. Pray the prayers that he has, has submitted to you. And then also, yes, if you are in the United Methodist Church, reach out to uh, your delegate, find out who your delegates are, make sure that when they go to vote, they know what the people they're representing want. This is how the structure is supposed to work. So uh, don't be naive, but give it a chance. Um, if you appreciate what I'm doing on Plain Spoken, um, subscribe, share, comment I, I i need these things to know that what i'm i'm doing is is helpful if you think that it's worth funding then go over to locals.com and and type in plain spoken and join my community i that makes a big difference so thanks everybody rob you in particular thank you so much for spending time with me blessings to you we're gonna we're gonna end the recording now so we're saying bye to everybody and then rob and i are gonna pray for a bit so thanks thanks to you and thanks to everybody for joining in and i'll, I'll see you later